You're listening to How Do You Decide with Megan Stafford, a podcast that explores how the decisions we make shape us, the crossroads, the difficult choices, and how sometimes the smallest decisions can have the biggest impact. Join me as I meet everyday Aussies and find out about their lives, the decisions that changed them, and how they coped along the way. This week on the podcast... I feel in a way I'd failed and I knew that probably four or five of them at least would have no continuing input. That's Viv Chapman. And what you just heard was Viv talking about the day he had to close a school at Melbourne, a small railway siding town some 60 kilometres south of Cloncurry in North Queensland. Viv taught there as the sole teacher in 1969. It was an interesting six months for Viv. His bedroom was on the school veranda. He had to dig a toilet for the students each day and for a fundraiser, they would catch local goats to sell. His time at Melbourne might seem brief in the scheme of an entire life, but the months spent there led Viv to be chosen from more than 250 applicants to teach in New Zealand through an exchange program. Viv went on to teach at many other schools. He became a principal and later a pastor. In this conversation, we talk about his career teaching in his various roles. At times, you'll hear Viv's wife, Lynn, supporting his memories. Talking to Viv and Lynn, I realised that one approach to decision-making is having faith that life will direct you where you are needed. We start our conversation with Viv's childhood in Stanthorpe. Viv Chapman, with support from Lynn. I was born in the Stanthorpe district at Stanthorpe. I had a twin. twin. I was a twin. I am a twin, still a twin. Twin sister. I had four other sisters, so there's five of us. We lived on an orchard. And the Chapmans, my father was one of 12. We had a lot of cousins and stuff, some of whom I never really sort of got to know because they spread out like all families. And we were right at the end. My eldest sister was working in the bank, I think, when I was born. We lived there a lovely life, went to a school of about 65, 70 kids. And it's interesting that places where we've been, there's been a lot of Italians. So that, that was the Italian migration after World War Two. So half our class at least were Italian. Uh, and then we came to Ingham and half the school was Italian. And then we went to the Burdekin and a third of the school was Italian. So greatly admired the Italians. And you rarely get an Italian child who misbehaves because it's a cultural thing. And all I would say was, do you want me to see Grandad? And they nearly died because there's that, yeah. there's that cultural aspiration that I'm part of a family. And don't you be known around the district as the guy who got the cuts or who broke the window or whatever. So that sort of followed us right, right through. So... Uh, you moved up, though, as a teacher. That would have been later on to Ingham and the Burdekin. Oh, we left. Dad suddenly sold the orchard and everyone was shocked. Do you know why did, why he did that? No. And he wouldn't tell you if you asked him. Uh, it wasn't ill health. If I had to say anything, I, he probably didn't have any idea what the farm was worth, the orchard was worth, because there, there was other paddocks as well that he hadn't turned into orchard. And really, he was one of 12, and his father provided the three boys with an orchard each. He was quite simple. He didn't complicate anything. 
your father or your grandfather? I didn't really know my grandfather very well, except when I knew that when he said stop, you stop, and uh, found that out the hard way. <laughs> and he got into bowls, fishing. Uh, he used to take me fishing, He'd go out in a boat fishing. And that area now is completely dry in Stamthorpe. Stamthorpe's had water carted to it now for, mm. from a Warwick Dam for about two and a half years, 50 truckloads a day for all that time. Yeah, that's still going on. I still regard Stanthorpe as my birthplace and home. Uh, you just go back there, there's something that there's not in other places. Yeah. You, know, you can't really explain that. Yeah, it's an affinity, I guess, with the place, that familiarity. And so we, in year, I was in year seven, oh, my sister and I, we went to Humpy Bong School on the Redcliffe Peninsula. So we went from a school of 65 to a school of about 900. Lynn was there somewhere. Uh, I never saw her. And we then realised what we weren't taught. My sister and I were put in the same class that, and we were sort of called dummies and you don't know this and haven't done that. We got extra homework and stuff to catch up. So it wasn't that then I think that mum and dad realised, hey, this was a bit of a fraud, this principle that you had. Anyway, we got through the high school, my sister and I went to Redcliffe High and we were first intake. So a brand new school, I had the principal for two subjects and he sort of made me, he was a tough old bugger, he was, he was a prisoner of war, he had a story for everything, you name it, he had a story that he could relate and we desperately tried to get one every lesson <laughs> uh, but sometimes he said oh I've got to do some work so we'd be talking about Shakespeare and next thing he'd bring in an incident in in a camp that was relevant to Shakespeare. Wow. I, I would have been considered a pretty ordinary student, a bit stupid, I'll never be a teacher but I, I like school, uh, I was always good at sport, pretty good at sport and got in every team just about. Rugby league, when I was at high school, was in weight, so I was rather light. So most of my years, I captained a team of kids younger than me. But I went on to right through to year 12 and got a reasonable pass. A couple of people suggested, oh, you've got, they're offering you a teacher scholarship. I think you should take it. So I thought, yeah, I'll give it a go. When I met some of my old teachers, I remember meeting one in the street, and he said, oh, what are you doing with yourself? And I said, oh, I'm going teaching. Well, he nearly fell on the floor laughing. <laughs> <laughs> you deserve that. Good on you. Anyway, the second year, for some unknown reason, I decided I'd do a uni subject. So it was an education degree, Bachelor of Education. It was when you finished at, at the teacher's college, right? You got a diploma of education. Yeah, uh, wasn't, wasn't a bachelor. Wasn't, and yeah. most would have gone right through their life with that. It took me, I don't know how long. Ten years. More than ten. But finally got there and... Do you think that it's, you know, saying that many teachers would just go to teacher's college and have their whole career with just a diploma, do you think, whereas now you wouldn't be able to just have a diploma, you'd have to have a bachelor as a minimum, Yeah. do you think that that's worth it? Was it worth the bachelor, do you think? It broadens your, your ideas, broadens your 
vision or whatever. Uh, uh, you know, we've got we've had nephews and nieces that have just become professional students, and they're fifty and they're still got something they haven't done. Whereas, you know, I was I mean I was teaching all that time as well, and we we were married and had kids, and I don't know how I or how Lynn put up with it, and how I got I don't know when I did things. But I, I was fairly fairly creative at answering questions. There was one assignment that I had, to, and that was <clears throat> I was doing an economic, economic study, uh, and I I got onto this guy that used to live near us at Stanthorpe, who kept who recorded his whole farm. So if he went to town for an hour to get petrol, he docked himself an hour's pay, and he had it all there, everything. And he loved it. And he gave me all the details. And I'm thinking, hey, this is going to be one of my best ex I'll be probably a leading economist here. <laughs> and three quarters of the way through the year, they changed the whole thing. And this major assignment went from 50% to 10% or something. So I just got them sheets, put them there, stuck a staple in them, put my name on it and sent it in. <laughs> and it, it said reasonable or something, quite disjointed in parts. Pass. <laughs> P's get degrees. So I'm trying to get to the major decision one, which is going to Melbourne. Yeah, I went, went to a big uh, school on the Redcliffe Peninsula. First. So I was there for two years and knew it was just mandatory you'd get a transfer, even though I wasn't quite 21 because I was young for getting out of college. But you'd get a transfer, you'll get a transfer, don't worry about it, you'll get a transfer. And I did to Mount Isa. So after two years, off to Mount Isa with my V-dub. Went up the coast, got to here and heard that the roads were cut. Kept driving and I got, I was the only person to get to, no, I might have been Richmond. And they questioned me as to how I got through. And for about 20 kilometres, I was following the railway line, not the road in my V-dub and got there. <laughs> Stuck the car on a train along with a lot of other cars and got to Cloncurry, jumped us off. And by then I was late, so everyone had picked their classes. I walked in and they said, uh, welcome, you made it, good on you. You've got year two. I said, okay. So I was in the infant section. Oh, it was fantastic because she, the infant mistress, she said, oh, I've been dreaming about having a young male in the infant section to give the boys a bit of a rough and a tough and all the stuff and don't worry about your program. I'll give you a complete program. You're my man. So that was the first year in Mount Isa. Then at the end of that year, and I can't even remember, I, I think I came home without a transfer. Why did you choose to transfer? No choice. No choice. Oh, you just... In the state system. That's one of the differences between the state and private. When did they tell you that you were going to go to Melbourne? In the holidays, I got a letter in the mail. You would have heard of Melbourne no. being in Mount Isa or no? No. I knew where it was, but no. And I didn't know what I was going to. Did you know there was only... It was a one-teacher school? Oh, yeah. That was it. And then, did the letter say that? <laughs> no, the letter didn't say it. You weren't teacher in, 
charge or anything. You were just teacher at, that you had to do everything, teacher at. So I just went off to go back to Cloncurry and then about 60 k's southwest of Cloncurry, dirt road, rough road. I had everything I owned in the car and still plenty of room. I didn't know what to take. I knew the history of the school, opening, closing, opening, closing. But Ed Queensland made it very clear that the town had been told, shape up or the school will close. So I went there to keep the school open and they basically said, you've got to average 10. Schooling wasn't a high, high on their list. Perhaps they'd been abused and used by teachers. They had a low opinion of teachers. What families do you mean? The community. There were quite a lot of people around because Mount Isa was doing a bit of work 40, 30 or 40 k's out. They, had, they were trying, I think, to do small-scale mining and there were geologists and stuff all around. I got there and got an underwhelming... The, the attitude for most was, oh, hell, they've sent another teacher. We're going to we'll have to tidy our kids up and get them to school. That was how I felt. Uh, there were two girls at the pub who basically wanted me to start teaching them before I unpacked the car. They helped me unpack the car. Then I realised, oh, what am I unpacking the car for? So then I go and ask, and they just sort of said, no, oh, no, you'll find a bed over there. Oh, okay. So, I, well, I brought sheets and stuff because I wasn't expecting a hotel. So it was up to me to decide, and I, and I knew that they weren't going to be bossing me around, so I thought, well, I'll... I'll bed down at the school. So it was basically, a, there was no electricity, there was no, no communication. So if I wanted to communicate, what I would do was I'd go, I, I made a deal and I'd, I'd, leave, I'd leave school on two o'clock on Friday. And so I could go to Cloncurry or Mount Isa and make a phone call at least. Then I realised, well, I haven't brought enough stuff. There was about six pieces of chalk and a couple of dusters, five or six books. And was there an actual room attached to the school that you stayed in? or No, it was just, it was just like, just, just think of the average classroom with a veranda on the front, and I slept on the veranda. So the kids, when we'll they came, came up the steps to go into school, were walking past my bed. But that didn't I wasn't there the whole time, but that, that was another story. It's hard to imagine. And I can't believe that there was nowhere... In the, within the town that you could make a telephone call? The pub had a phone. That's it. So you could use the pub phone during the week? Well, for, well, I never used it, and we never had any emergencies. Can I just go back to the article in the Sunday Truth? Had it, who, who put that in there? I didn't. What was the article, sorry? Because I think the headlines read, um, Teacher Sleeps on the Veranda. Sort of said it, was, it was front page. Not front, it was about third page. Oh, I put it up the front. Third page. <laughs> I think it even had a photo maybe of the school. But it, I can, isn't it funny? I can just still see the headlines with you know, teacher seats on brandas. But was it from that article that made them 
have to find you better accommodate or find you accommodation? No, that came from regional office or whatever in Townsville. Yeah, so you arrive there, you realise you're going to have to sleep on the veranda. What? How are you feeling? Well, I'm feeling, am I going to die of hunger for a start? Uh, uh, I've got an esky about this big. And, and then they sort of said, yeah, we'll give you a meal and you can use the shower and toilet at the pub either at your own risk, and that was pretty true uh, there too because of some of the clientele. And there were people coming and going. As I said, the Mount Isa ones, uh, there was a police station, police house and little station. He, he didn't want to, say, come and sleep with you know, one of my beds. Was there a railway? Railway house and railway person there. Uh, they were both excellent tennis players, so the, they had a, a fairly rough old tennis court and nearly every afternoon I could play one of them. I thought I was pretty good at tennis. They could both beat me, so I, I'd get some good tennis in. Yeah, you always felt that about half the kids, and I'm talking about 12 or so, came because they had to and the others were all right but there were two girls at the uh, pub pubs kids they were the ruse r-o-o-s it's their sur- surname and they were excellent little kids both girls probably about eight and nine uh, and they were my, my champions how many kids then? So about 24 in the class, not oh, just you? Oh, no. No, no, no. What, tw- A- average day about 10, 10. 11. And w- w- all, I could, all I could do is, and I still do it, see, I've done it. That's where I started. That, that was my newsletter. I'd send home the front of an envelope. Sometimes I would put in there a little note for everyone, like, um, don't forget Friday... School finishes at two. But then I'd write on here something about that. And I probably only had to do about eight of them for the whole school. And it was this time of the year that I was there at the beginning of the year. They'd go off fishing because we'd had that good rain. And they'd leave. They wouldn't be there for Friday. And then they'd come back about Wednesday and wander in. I said, where are you? Where are you being? Fishing. And the car's gone. So the... You know, I could see why they were going to lose their school. Did you feel so overwhelmed at the beginning, at the very beginning, when you arrived and hungry, homeless? I, see, I can't really remember what I had for lunch or, or, or anything or where I had food. Uh, as far as I know, I didn't have a fridge or anything to put food in. I, I know when I went back to Mount Isa that I shot fairly carefully uh, there wasn't long life milk. And when did you make your phone call to a regional office or something to complain and, and say, hang on, did you know uh, this is the state of affairs? I wasn't a complainer. They wouldn't have had many calls from, from me. So when they changed the accommodation, that wasn't off you saying something. That was just, that just eventually... No, that, that was... That was Basically, Ed Queen, they knew, but I don't think they cared. It was, what, it was a bit like saying, you know, COVID is coming up. We won't get it. 
I don't, there was no determination to keep that school open. Uh, so then I got this room and it, and it was a corrugated iron shed with a door that didn't lock. So I locked my wallet and that's about my only valuable in the car. I hope that no one stole my car. I didn't want to leave it on the, the veranda. The door was at the back of the bar, wasn't it? People, some of them would come into my... There was no, I couldn't lock this shed or whatever it was. They cleaned it out for me and, and I put the bed in there. But they'd come in and I'd just have to rouse on them and tell them to go. I'd sometimes be woken up during the night just drunk there. How old were you at this point, Vic? Oh, 21. 20. What an experience. 22. Getting old, was I? That but also there was a generator outside the window. It didn't go all night. But no, you never know. You never knew when it would go either. I just pay once a week for a meal. It wasn't much, a couple of dollars to get a good meal. And then would you spend your weekends back in Mount Isa or Cloncurry? Yeah, n- nearly always Mount Isa because that's where I come from. Yeah, and I'd usually go back Sunday afternoon and get back there. That was about. 60 out to the main road and 110 or something back to Mount Isa. Milk came from Cloncurry every day. Because they used to have school milk. Crate of little bottles and most days, that that was our excursion. We we could cross the road, go over to the... We'd see the train come in. The kids would say, we're getting the milk. Yeah, off you go, get your hat. We go over and surprisingly... A lot of the kids would drink it, and even some of them would drink it when it was looking a bit off. And I'd say, you choose. And, uh, and then we'd go over to the one tap and wash the bottles out and clean them all up and put them back at the railway station and go back. And then toilets. There was a toilet in the school ground. But there was no system. So I had to dig a hole for the toilet and place the toilet over the hole and when I finished one hole I then have to start on the next one move a couple of meters along and start on the next one and do get it get it down four or five inches pour a bucket half a bucket of water in come back the next afternoon get another one and had a measuring stick Uh, I was told of it's got to be that deep, and you can only use it the once. And so basically, that was a daily afternoon thing, digging a hole for the toilet. I, the kids used that. I would use it during the day, but rarely because I usually use the one at the pub. Were you just taking this all in your stride, or were you like, when do I get out of here? Once this year's over, I'm done. Or did you have a choice in leaving after a oh, year? Oh, well, I could have resigned. Yeah. Uh, no, I, uh, I was determined to do everything I could to keep the school open, but I wasn't going to go around. Some, some came off properties. They were the most elusive and in some ways strange in that sometimes you'd just see a kid walking in and they hadn't been there for three days. No note or anything, just walking up the steps. Good morning. Where are you? you know, 
you know, nothing. And, and you know, country people are normally pretty well with it. There were goats all around the school. Uh, we couldn't keep them all out of the school ground. The school ground was fairly well fenced, but they could get through a few of them. There's probably 40 goats, 30 adult ones and 10 small ones. I went over to the pub first afternoon. Sometime I'd go over and have a glass of lemonade. And I went over and the bloke says, what are you doing with your goats? And I said, you talking about the kids at school or what? No, the goats, they're yours. Mine? Yeah, they're the school goats. So apparently they'd started as two and now they're up 30. Oh. So then I thought, oh, I don't know what we're going to do with them. But they, Because of the rain and everything, they weren't such a nuisance because they had feed. feed. But they came back. So then I said, when I went back, I passed the word around, anyone want a baby goat for a pet? I'll bring you a goat. It'll be my fundraiser. Ten bucks or five dollars or five pound for a goat. So then, got a couple of orders. So then, about Thursday, we'd be looking for goats. If they came back, that'd be our phys ed lesson: catch a goat, not too big. We don't want one of those big, smelly ones; just a small one. So the kids would be ducking and diving, and we'd get a goat. And uh, I had a couple of boxes without a floor in, and we'd stick them under the box. And then I never took two though, I, I'd only ever take one at a time. And I put it down beside, behind the seat of the V-Dub, put some paper and stuff in there, stick the goat in and deliver it. Sometimes I thought, now if I run off the road and crash into a tree, they'll find me with a goat in the back and say, <laughs> what happened to him? And uh, Successful fundraiser? Well, gave them a little bit of money, and I must admit, uh, in those days, that the, the, the schools back in Mount Isa were good. Like, I'd come back and there'd be a little bundle of books from a school, just readers for year threes or whatever. There'd be eight or nine books in there. So I heard the inspector was coming from someone in Mount Isa, I think, and I used to go in shorts and a T-shirt and sandals don't think thongs were invented then. So I took a tie over to the school and hung it behind the door. Anyway, I saw him come and he pulled up and he came in. So I went over and I just had a T-shirt on, but I put this nice pocket tie on and tied it for him. I said, morning, how are you, Bill? Oh, Viv, you didn't have to. <laughs> so I wasn't taking it too seriously. But he, I knew he... I knew that he would not say one negative word. I just knew because if I walk out, he's got a mess. That's he, right. he just thanked me for being there and doing my best and talked to the kids and drove off. When did you leave Melbourne? Like how long were you there? So it was just about six, close to the half the year was all. And again, I didn't feel bad about any of that because it wasn't my decision. And they gave two weeks notice only. But they gave everyone like the details for what's distance ed now, which was, I don't think it was school but anyway. So the it, school closed? School closed. Wow. And I had to, I left a little bit of stuff there. I took some of the books back to, to Mount Isa. 
What was the lead up like to finding, or you just got a letter again to say the school was closing? How did you find out? Got a letter. Where did those kids I feel, have to go? I feel in a way I'd failed and I knew that probably four or five of them at least would have no continuing input and just be running around the place and being a nuisance. Was there, do you remember the last day of the school? Yes, and is it is it the country or the weather or what? It was unemotional. Whether they'd been there and done that before, that was the only time I've ever closed a school. I didn't feel good about it. I was hoping that I'd go back into Mount Isa and be on a class because I related to a class. And the other thing is, this was sort of after the big strike, which is another complete story. The place, the place where I felt the most prejudice was Mount Isa when that strike came and the caps, that, that, was, that was the start of the caps. I tell people that. If you, if you had a red cap on, don't go near them. If, if teachers had walked into a couple of the pubs and asked for a beer, they'd have been out on the back. They'd been hurled out the door. Then I got a class, and the class was 55. So I had about 30 in the room, 10 on one veranda, which was closed in, and 15 on the other. And I taught the lot. That was because the strike, teachers went flying everywhere and they weren't going to bring them back until everything's stabilised. So you just do what you're told to do. So those kids had a box, not like the boxes now, but they had a box and they would have some of the day, day on that veranda, some of the day in the room with me and some of the day on that and then we'd go round. And I taught about 55 and thought that was all right. Kids were good. That is crazy. And the thing was that all those years later, I should mention it, I put in for an overseas trip scholarship knowing that I wouldn't get it. But I thought, oh, well, be in there. So I stuck it in and I only put in for New Zealand because I had a sister, we had a sister over there and some contacts. I thought, oh, I'll be good. So... You know, no chance. And uh, then I think we heard back through something. I was told there were about 245 applicants registered by the due date and they will be processed. So I thought, oh, that's the end of that. And sometime later, I don't know, it might have been four weeks, four months later, I don't know, during the year, I get a phone call from the Chermside office. And the Chermside office meant that you were going to be carpeted or sacked or investigated. You know, how you think all the good, the good things. Anyway, there were phones in those days. So I was called to the phone in the office at the Clontarf school where I got... I got back to the same school, which was pretty well unheard of, and I think that was maybe a bit of a trade-off. And But when I got back there, I realised too that I couldn't stand it anymore. with a thousand kids. But I went round, and he said, you, Viv Chapman? Yep. And he said, oh, I'm just ringing. 
with regard to that uh, application you made, for the first time ever, New Zealand is going to send to us a principal in a one-teacher school. This is the first time ever. So we are looking for a prince, someone who's been in a small school. And out of the 245, four have been in a small school. And you've been in the small school to beat all schools, so you're it. Isn't that incredible? Do you define your time in New Zealand as something that then has just gone on to add to I think it was the highlight of our family's life. So we went, packed up our stuff, got off the plane, wrote off $2,500 travellers' travellers checks, bought a car, stuffed everything in the car and drove north about 180 k's or something up into Maori land <coughs> to a one-teacher school and about 25 kids. But because they were, they were supposed to be remote, remote in New Zealand is you can't see a KFC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, uh, it, it was, they called it remote. So. How far was it from the closest town? We were half an hour from a city. Nearly as big as Townsville, not quite, but... Wow. And so... But we exchanged our home. He didn't want our car because they were buying one to take one back because it was cheaper that way. And then we went to the schoolhouse because it was the schoolhouse at the yeah, we got school. Yeah, we So we went. So when we went, we went over. And I think the weirdest possible thing that we've ever done is we were in the house and we hosted them afternoon tea in their house with their things with her cooking and everything so that they were coming for Neville to take Viv around the school and show him everything and here I am giving them the cakes and, and, Neville, on their and, and Neville went to Clontarf and they just gave him a folder and said you've got Viv's class and these are all the things he does and he said it nearly killed me and I think they said that in the morning he liked to read the paper <laughs> the day you're five, you walk into school. That's another rule they have over there. Any time of the year, just walk in, hello, I'm here. And because it was so remote, which it wasn't, we went beyond primary for another year. So we had about eight year levels. We had about 26 kids spread over it. And then we got more and we got more and we got a second classroom. And but still one teacher? Got a, got a teacher who taught in the tennis court oh, for a while because there was no one else. And they went out there and was more than happy, all the little kids out in the shed, cold weather, rainy weather. And having her, she would just march out to the gate by, with one of her little darlings by the ear and she would go over to the car and she would tell this lady that if you bring your child looking like this again, I'll be round at your house to check on what's going on. And I mean it. <laughs> I mean, if, if I'd have done that, it would have been discrimination that she could get away with it. And we just loved it. She got this room. We got a few more kids. At the school, the school sheet. Oh, so you've gone from goats, goats to sheep. Goats to sheep, yeah. And we won the rugby union test the year we were there. And so next morning, 
I went over and the PNC lady and her husband, there was a shop right across the road from the school that did the mail, did everything. They, we got all our food, everything, and just the girls loved it. They could go and get an ice cream and write their name on the book. And then at the end of the month, we'd pay. But I got the flag out. I used to fly the New Zealand flag. I always wish I'd taken an Australian one and flew it at half-mast. So this Charlie, who knows everyone and knows everything and probably knows what colour undies I've got on today because he saw them on the line, uh, comes over and he says, What's going on? I said, Where? The flag, what's the flag doing? I said, it's half-mast. Well, who died? I haven't heard. You have. No, I haven't heard. What's going on? I said, don't you watch the news? Yeah? Who is it? I said, New Zealand rugby died. But then you've got into trouble with him. I told the kids, possums are thick in New Zealand. And they all, every one of them came from Australia personally. And they're on the road everywhere. And I said to the kids, why do you keep ordering these possum pies? And they said, are they possums? I said, yeah. Mr. Mates gets them, skins them, cooks up the meat and sticks them in your pie. So the the order for pies plunged (laughs) to zero. So (laughs) So then he asks and the kids tell him. So he came over and stood in front of the class while I explained that that was a joke or a lie and that they could now reorder pies and there would be no possum <laughs> meat in them. What a great year. It was. Absolutely. And, you know, for six months to turn in a, you know, one teacher school in rural Queensland to turn into a year. What um, what year was, were you in Melbourne? 1967. What I guess I'm interested in is, you know, now having... How many schools have you worked in over your career? Oh, not that many. Only about. Not as many as most. About six or seven. And you've had this long career and then been a pastor, become a pastor, and worked again on school boards and things. What would you say with the decisions that have been made to get you to where you are now? Yeah, well, I I wouldn't want any of them to be changed. I think serve where you're sent. I never thought that I'd be here as a pastor. Well, I wasn't a pastor. I was a lay person who came for two years and stayed for ten. Could you also tell me about your, your calling as well, receiving that? What what happened to make you decide to give the teaching up? Uh, just a lot of little things, but none of them negative. Like, oh, I'm sick of filling out these forms. I'm sick of whinging parent. It was all other things, that just little little bits and pieces. Did you ever have like a goal of where you wanted to end up no no because i think that today a lot of us you know this generation it's like we need to get there we need to get there and so then how do i get there well i've got mates who existed for another six months so they'd get another twenty-eight thousand in their super i wouldn't go another day if i didn't want to go another day but there was someone who was his head teacher who how many years did he have to go? At 20. A long time and he couldn't wait to retire. And it was so sad because he wasn't enjoying the here and the now and everything. He was just looking at that yeah. all the time. 
I caned three boys in my whole career and I went into the office and cried because I thought I'd failed them. In what way? Well, I didn't really need to do it. It was just that I was frustrated. And... But you have to admit that Callum... Oh, that was the New Zealand one. I didn't you regret that. Admit that was a timely struck. Yeah. And it really, I believe it helped him. And it helped all the kids because he was such a bully. And the comments, you know, he'd been doing that for a couple of years and other parents came and said, oh, you've just changed the school. Yeah. But, but yeah, I respect that. You, you know, did, did find out first that he could use the strap. That so was the only time I rang up. I, I couldn't believe how they just let me loose there. And they, that, New Zealand authorities did nothing as far as checking on me. There were no inspections or anything. They didn't ring and say, you're still alive or can you talk proper yet? Yeah. <laughs> but with Callum, he, as if, you know, he was a pretty big boy and um, you know, we warned him and warned him. He won't, when he did, um, what do you call that, administer the strap, the cry went out down the valley. <laughs> <laughs> he was crying, and his parents are across the road. He, he, so yeah. They would have heard and, him. And she, no the, doubt. the mother was the PNC one and ran the school and knew everything. Well, she heard a new sound that day, I tell you. <laughs> well, to, I guess the last question so that I can look through the album and look at the handle is just on how much do you just be taken with the wind and how much do you try and plan out where you want to end up? Yeah. Well, you know, probably things are a bit different, but every journey starts with a few small steps. Uh, if you knew where it was going to end, you might never start. I don't think you'd have to know everything to make a start. And there's always a need. And there's always somewhere where uh, you will fit in. And probably if I'd have taken a poll of my nine high school teachers, as how would... Viv Chapman go as a teacher I might have got one out of maybe two out of nine or something it worked out I like that it's just also letting go of what other people say about you not being defined by others expectations but I, I do think if I can say that Faith has had a fair bit to do with decisions and that that have been made over the time that you know God's been a Part of all of it. Yeah, it was good good to walk through the street of Melbourne at night looking up at the stars and think, Are you sure I'm supposed to be here, God? Get me out of here. <laughs> but so in those days, you know, we were going together when we went to Mount Isa. Yeah. So and the only correspondence was through letter. So yeah. then in those days there were two um, deliveries a day. So you get twice chance of getting a letter and delivery on a Saturday morning so yeah all these extra but we wrote a lot I poured over it I realized how little time we have spent doing letters afterwards because he could he could rip them off like anything whereas I poured over these yeah pages I rip them off now no one can read them <laughs> but, um, there was only, to my knowledge, one phone call ever in all of that time, and that was from Viv's twin sister to Viv in that time. As far as I know, we never had one phone call. 
Wonder, wonder what she rang. That was when Barry dumped It was so it was good not having a phone in the in the four of us were there. You didn't have to worry about people on the phone all the time. But I think that that's so true. Like today, you're saying you were uncontactable, and now we're just so available at all and that, times. And that is that is leading? One of the and what did I miss? Yeah. But I think that that to me is still a problem that people can't say I'm not available. Yeah. Because people look at them as though that's there's an expectation, yeah, that you should be yeah. always. And well, I feel that that is wrong because yeah. it puts so much pressure on everybody. I don't know. I just think that people don't have enough space. Yeah. You know, like we had anticipation of waiting for a letter. Well, I should say I took a year six. Five, six class at Milchester last year. I had 30 kids in a room for 20 that we all fitted in from 2.30 to 3, the witching hour, half hour, and they were impeccable. I probably spoke to two kids in the whole time for not doing the right thing. And that was, and I kept saying to the teacher, what do you do to these kids? They're marvellous. And you know, some of them were on, riding on their knee and sitting on the floor and three to a desk for two. And yet it was just, I said, oh, I'll go home now and have an afternoon tea and I'll be just feeling wonderful. It was good for my whole heart. What do you think makes a good life then? What parts do you think have made you enjoy so much? Well, I don't do jigsaws, but it's a bit like a jigsaw and there's a lot of parts to it and it's hard to pinpoint. I think I've always been satisfied with my where I've been. I feel that that's where I should be. I, haven't, uh, I say to a lot of people, don't compare. You don't have to compare. You don't have to run as fast as someone else. I used to say that to kids. You don't have to... There will be things that you can do that that kid can't do and vice versa. A girl that we've met in Townsville now married with some children who was smashed up in a car accident. We got her at the school and we kept her instead of letting her go to high school. We kept her for a couple of extra years and she taught me more about patience and enjoying the day than just about anyone else. I really owe her about $10,000. Because she was so... Positive. And she was, but she was obviously physically impaired. And never said... Why can't I run like the others? And in a way, it was her mother's neglect that she was like that. She didn't have seatbelts on. She was who she was, and uh, she was just loved in the class. I can remember the time I told her, went up to her just before the cross country, and I said, Tanya, now I know this will be hard for you, but if you'd like, you can do the shorter cross country and you'll still get a point or five points or whatever. Well, she into me. How dare you? I'm a senior. I'm doing the full cross country. And we used to start with the little ones and finish with the big ones. And and the kids finished. And then some of them went back out, out of the school ground, actually, to wait for her. And the teachers and the parents along, when she got to that point, they walked with her. And she came in the gate with about 20 people around her. Everyone else had no one because they were running. And the whole school stood there and cheered her. And I said to her, you've taught me a lesson. How dare I say that? I think quite often we try and help people 
yeah. thinking that it's good for them. Yeah. And in hindsight, it's good for us. You know, we're trying to save them and yet it doesn't help them. Well, you know, people, so when are you going to be in a bigger school? And what about your mate now? He's in a school of 500. And I said, good luck to him. I don't care. I must and tell you that, that, that the last funeral I took, which is not long ago, I filled, filled in for some, three of the main people there had worked in Melbourne. And how that, funny. How did, that, how, did, how did it come up? We were at the, at the pub and we got talking. And next thing we're in Melbourne. And he he was working on the new railway line between Cloncurry and Melbourne, and his brother was working there as well. And then his wife came out and stayed in Melbourne for a couple of weeks or something to be there. And I said, "Brave you!" And and so here we go, Melbourne. And a the bloke a bloke came to we had a caravan there, and we had it for sale. And he came to have a look. And he had a look, oh, ooh, yeah, oh, I'd like to drive this around. Ooh, ooh. And then we started talking. And next thing, I don't know how I got onto it, that he says, oh, yeah, when I was out in Melbourne, what? When I was out in Melbourne working, can't believe it. <laughs> so we start talking about what he did out there. And We went back twice in 84. We went back. The night after the America's Cup. You we went out with our girls and went, you know, to, to show them, well, to show me too, and for me to just go, thank you, God, I wasn't here, I wasn't married. Yeah. But um, to show them where it had been, and then we went back four years ago. Yeah. We drove out there and went and just looked around as well, and no school or anything. Yeah, the only thing I could tell where the school was was one of the posts in the tennis court, the net posts were still in the ground. Otherwise I wouldn't have, wouldn't have been able to even place it, I don't think. Wow. Um, I really love that story about the cross country and just makes you you just I think it's mindset, isn't it? What makes life so good or bad. And being a principal, I guess your task is also instilling values and fostering that culture. And I just wondered if there are a couple or one value that you really always focused on. Deal with the present. Don't worry about what you didn't do yesterday. Don't worry about the assignment you haven't done for Friday yet. Deal with this day. This day you've got to do the maths that's on the board. This day you've got to hand in the letter that you're supposed to have written to this imaginary person. And this day you're on duty for doing this or doing that because people had to put up flags and do everyone had jobs every day deal with the present and you've been marvelous thanks again Viv and Lynn I'm so glad you were sent north all those years ago I'll be back next week with another episode of how do you decide until then make good choices <laughs>